นะโมทัสสะปะกะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทัสสะนะโมทัสสะปะกะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทัสสะนะโมทัสสะปะกะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทัสสะอินทนาอิสทอค I will be talking out about the practice of metta metta meditation and look at it under the aspect of our shared humanity This morning, I talked about metta, what it means, loving kindness, friendliness, a benevolent attitude towards all living beings, or unconditional love. To extend the same love, to extend the same kindness and friendliness to all living beings, including ourselves. And as, as I've said, metta is one of the four Brahma Viharas, beneficial states of heart and mind, which the Buddha taught. But of course, metta, as well as the other Brahma Viharas, they are not Buddhist. They are not uh, only Buddhist qualities, but they are universal human qualities. We can find them in all different religions and spiritual traditions. In relation to the ongoing conflict with the Rohingyas in Burma, this ethnic group living in the north of Burma, towards the Bangladesh border, a Catholic Burmese cardinal. He has said that we should see every person as our brother and sister in humanity, regardless of ethnicity, race, or religion. And many other religious and spiritual teachers say the same, namely that we, as human beings, Are all like sisters and brothers, or at least we should regard each others as sisters and brothers. Of course, there are differences, but there is also a common ground. So we are human beings with the same hopes and fears. We are the same. We are human beings with the same wish for a happy and good life. Or we are all human beings with the same wish to be free from pain, misery, and suffering. So, on a very basic level, we, 
as human beings, we are not different from each other. In the same way, for example, we want our siblings to be happy and well, we should consider other um, people as our siblings and wish them also to be happy and well. When I was practicing in Burma and when I started to learn the Burmese language, I made a very interesting discovery. To address other people, the Burmese language does not, does not use the word you, but any stranger, even a person you have never seen before, you address them as either uncle or auntie or elder brother or younger sister or as my son or daughter. So depending on how old you are and how old the other person is, it's always set in relationship to the people in your family. Like if a person could be um, in your mother's age, so then you address her as auntie. If a person could be your daughter, you address her as daughter. If a person is more or less the same age, maybe a bit older, then you address him as older brother or elder sister. Or if a person has the age of your grandmother or your grandfather, <coughs> then you would address that elderly person as grandmother or grandfather. So when I learned that, in the beginning, it was very difficult to address any stranger as uncle or grandmother or sister, because I was simply not used to do so growing up in Switzerland with Swiss-German, German language. And so with this, then, you know, all the Burmese people, they are just one big family, basically, and if we extend that to everybody on this planet, then yes, we are just one big family. So we should acknowledge that we are simply human beings with the same basic wishes, same basic fears and hopes. This is what we all share. So in this way, we can acknowledge our shared humanity. The Metta Sutta, the Discourse on Loving Kindness, is one of the most well-known suttas or discourses. For example, in Burma, it is very well known and it is recited at almost every ceremony. And even 
the nuns and the monks in the monastery recited almost on a daily basis. And even lay people at home recited um, on a daily basis. And I'm, I'm quite sure that right now, in this very moment, the Metta Sutta is being recited somewhere in Burma or somewhere around the world. By the way, you have an English translation of the Metta Sutta on your chant sheets. So later on in this retreat, we'll do that Metta Sutta in English also together. So in this talk, I want to talk about three verses of the Metta Sutta in which the Buddha laid the foundation for the actual cultivation of loving-kindness. So in the verses 4 and 5, basically it boils down to wish may all beings be happy without exception. So there it says, whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born or to be born, may all beings be at ease, or may they all be happy. And then verse number six says that just as a mother loves her only child, should one love all beings. These are the words. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. So let's go back to the verses number four and five. So what is needed to have a benevolent attitude towards all beings. So instead of seeing the differences, we should see what we have all in common. So to see our shared humanity and to see and understand that all forms of life are precious and based on the same feelings, based on the same hopes and fears. Verse 6 encourages us to see all beings as our own child, so to extend the same love to all sentient beings, like as we extend our love to our only child. Those of you who are mothers, you know directly and personally what the Buddha uh, 
speaks of. There is no doubt that the love of a mother for her child is boundless and unconditional. Of course, we know there are exceptions that mothers do cruel things to their children. But usually, a mother cares so much for their child. She gets up at night to feed the baby. She comforts the frightened kid. She facilitates a good education, and so on. And of course, also fathers do love their children dearly. They also have a strong bond to their children. They care for the well-being of their kids. And of course, also aunties and grandmothers and neighbors extend their love to children. It's very natural that the mother feels love for her child. She cares for her baby during that period of infancy when the baby is utterly dependent on her, dependent on her for nourishment, for protection, also for emotional security. Because it's almost a biological imperative to favor the survival of the next generation. And even if that would mean to give up one's own life. As it is said in the Metta Sutta, even as a mother protects with her life her only child, or in another English translation, it says, just as a mother would protect her only child by risking her own life. So with this simile, the love of a mother for her child, the Buddha encouraged us to imagine what it feels like to love someone dearly. To love someone dearly, but not in the model of romantic love, but rather in the broader context of love that is entirely giving, of love that is not expecting anything in return. So the Buddha is pointing towards a selfless love or an unconditional love, a boundless, a limitless limitless love that cares simply but very powerfully for the well-being, happiness of the other. So is this image of the unconditional and boundless kindness or benevolence, we can access the quality of metta. This is the starting point. And then the Buddha said, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. So then, 
the next step is to broaden this felt sense of metta to other human beings, to other living beings. So we must understand that this benevolent attitude, this unconditional love, goes beyond the person we love most dearly. We must extend this attitude to other human beings and eventually to other living beings, to all living beings that somehow, somewhere exist in this universe, in other universes. And the Buddha stated very clearly that the heart, the mind, is able of cultivating benevolence and unconditional love for every living being. He said that all of us have the ability to overcome the limitations of a closed heart, that is, the limitations of prejudice, of anger, resentment, ill will, or craving, <coughs> craving attachment. So if the heart, if the mind, is capable of such an unconditional love, why do we limit it? Why do we set limits by our personal likes and dislikes? Why do we set limits by race or nationality or sexual orientation or set limits by the color of the skin? At the core of this limitation is the sense of me and others. So, when there is a strong self of me, or a strong self of self, a strong sense of self, or ego, myself, then the ego, the self, needs to be looked after first, in the first place like the American president saying, America first. <laughs> and so, based on this strong self, strong sense of me or ego, this ego or this self needs to be made happy in the first place. So I want to be happy. I need this. I don't want that. Or others may stand in the way of my happiness. However, it is exactly this self-centered view that is the cause for our unhappiness. How can we really be happy when we harm others or when others are not happy? 
This is why the Buddha encouraged us to regard and love other beings in the same way one would love their child. We surely do not harm our child. And when our child is happy, we are happy as well. So instead of seeing the differences, we should see what we have in common with others. We should contemplate the fact that other people, other living beings, have the same basic fears and hopes, namely to be happy and to avoid pain and suffering. So for the sake of simplicity, going on in this talk, I will limit the scope to human beings. Otherwise, it will get a bit complicated when I always have to mention human beings and other living beings. In South Africa, there is the notion of Ubuntu. Ubuntu means that we are human beings in dependence on each other. So it this points to our shared humanity or to our shared humanness. We share so much with each other. And of course, as I said, there are differences. But can we recognize that we share our humanity and our being human? So if that's possible, then we feel already much closer to each other. So here is a story from South Africa that illustrates this sense of Ubuntu and the fact that we only can be happy when others are happy as well. An anthropologist offered a new games, a new game to the children of a certain tribe in South Africa. So he he put a basket filled with fruits near a tree and he told the children that the one who was first to grasp the basket could have the basket and the fruits. And then he gave the signal for the children to start running towards that tree, that basket. And so after having given the signal to start run, the children took each other by the hands and they ran together. And then they sat around the basket filled with the fruit, eating and sharing the fruits. And then when the anthropologist asked the kids why they did what they did and why nobody ran to grab, to grab the basket themselves, they said, well, how can one of us be happy when all the others are not happy? So these children 
they clearly recognized that their own happiness is dependent of the happiness of others. We, as human beings, have the tendency uh, to put other people into different boxes. People we love, people we hate, people we respect, people we envy, or people we want to be with, then people we do not want to be with, people we would like to see, people we try to avoid to see, and so on. And so these different boxes, setting up these boundaries, they actually alienate us from others. They create a huge gap. So with the practice of metta meditation, of cultivating loving-kindness, we try to overcome these boundaries. We try to develop the same kind and loving attitude towards all human beings. So it is very helpful to repeatedly reflect on our shared humanity, to reflect on our common basic fears and hopes and values. Sometimes it can take quite a long time to clearly see that others are basically not different from us. To really see and recognize that they are human beings like me. Nelson Mandela, he spent 27 years in prison. And some had said that this was a total waste of time. However, the Archbishop Desmond Tutu said that these 27 years in prison were not wasted time. Desmond Tutu had said, Many may be surprised when I say that these 27 years were necessary. They were necessary to remove the slag. Through the suffering in prison, he, Nelson Mandela, became more generous and he was able to listen to the other side. He discovered that those he considered to be his enemies were human beings like himself with the same fears and expectations. The Archbishop Desmond Tutu and the Dalai Lama are among the most open-minded religious leaders in the world. 
On the occasion of the Dalai Lama's 80th birthday, which was in 2015, the two men spent one week together. They were also uh, close friends. So they spent one week together reflecting on the topic of joy. And their thoughts and reflections on joy, they were put together into a book, which is called The Book of Joy. And the person who facilitated this coming together and put forth questions, so he wrote the book, he not only mentioned what Desmond Tutu and Dalai Lama said, but he also gave the context. He described how these two men interacted with each other. It's a very touching and interesting, inspiring book. For example, when the Dalai Lama talked about the destruction of most of the monasteries in Tibet, the Archbishop Desmond Tutu took the Dalai Lama's hand and held it softly. At other times, they teased each other and they also could have a good laugh together. So like a red thread running through this week, these two men stressed time and again that people should overcome their limiting categories and develop love and compassion for all human beings alike. So it's our narrow-minded intellect that constructs all these limitations, that sets up all the barriers. And it does this to protect and strengthen the sense of self. The sense of self, or sense of me, I, or the ego, this is always trying to attain its own selfish goals. It's always about me, me, me. And so, therefore, most of the other people stand in the way of my happiness. And therefore, these other people, we see them as rivals or as enemies. We know human beings do act in unskillful and harmful ways, cruel ways. We cannot deny this. But we should never reduce a person to just this unskillful behavior. Behind or beyond these unwholesome, unskillful actions is a human being who shares the same basic nature, namely wanting happiness, avoiding suffering. So with the practice of metta meditation, we try to connect with other people on this basic level, to connect on the level of the heart, 
because on this level we are not different. The Panchen Lama, Lama was a teacher in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition and he expressed this with these words. It was the first Panchen Lama. He said, As far as suffering is concerned, I do not wish the least. As for happiness, I'm never satisfied. In this respect, there is no difference between the others and me. In a recent metta meditation retreat that we were teaching in Burma together with Saido Uindaka and my American non-friend Venerable Viranyani, one meditator related in an interview that she had the thought of sharing her own thermos with another yogi who was sick. But when that thought appeared in her mind, the first reaction was, no, 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 I need it. But then immediately after that thought, a second thought arose, which was, well, what's the difference between, between this other yogi and me? So with the second thought, this was the soft meta-mind that reminded her that there was actually no difference. Pema Chodron is an American nun ordained in the Tibetan uh, Buddhist tradition and she had set up a monastery in Nova Scotia, Gampo Abbey. And she puts it straightforward when she says compassion and we can understand compassion as a manifestation of metta in the face of suffering. So when metta encounters suffering then it can turn into compassion with the wish to relieve the suffering. So back to what she said. Compassion becomes real when we recognize our shared humanity. So now let's go back to the Metta Sutta. These verses where the Buddha mentioned all living beings for whom we should cultivate loving kindness. He described them as whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Although 
we are encouraged to cultivate metta, loving kindness for all living beings, it's impossible to imagine all living beings, to even know how many beings are out there. I think this is beyond uh, the scope for most of the people, at least for me it is. <laughs> but with all these adjectives, great, mighty, near, far, and so on, for me they are like an invitation to expand the heart and mind to the living beings that exist somewhere, somehow. So we should also include beings who are beyond or outside of our direct and personal experience. So for example, living beings, whether they are weak or strong, what is a weak being? Maybe a worm or a feeble old grandmother or maybe a baby, whether a human baby or an animal baby. I think it's not so difficult to cultivate loving-kindness for a weak being. Or is it? Because there is something in us that moves us to care for what is weak and what needs protection. And then, what is a strong living being? Maybe an elephant or a lion. Maybe an eagle or a bull. Or maybe it could also be a muscular man or a strong-minded lady. Strong might also mean a strong political leader or a persevering activist to protect the tropical forests. Then it says, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small. So with these descriptions, the Buddha invited us to envision living beings of all different shapes and sizes. Maybe a giraffe, a dog, or a mayfly. Tall woman, a little butterfly. Then we have the seen and the unseen, or those visible and invisible. So this takes into account that we do not see every living being. Besides the living beings that we see with our physical eyes, mostly human beings and animals, there are other beings that we cannot see. Some are so small that we may need a magnifying glass or a microscope to see them insects, microbes, and then 
other beings are so far away that we do not see them. But then it is said there are also other beings that most of the people cannot perceive with their physical eyes. But they can be seen or experienced with a special sensitivity or they can be perceived, experienced by powerful states of mind such as the jhanas you know, beings such as devas, celestial beings, or angels, or ghosts, demons, or hell beings. Then it is said in the sutta, those living near and far away So the people and animals who live in our neighborhood, in our vicinity, they are easy to know. We see them maybe daily or very often, our family, the neighbor, the lady at the checkout counter, in the shop, or maybe the neighbor's cat or the possum that comes to our house at night. But then there are those living far away. So maybe those living on the other side of the world. People, animals, other beings in Europe. Because there are also neighbors, there are also cats uh, in Europe. And then we have those born and to be born. So far, we have extended our meta to various beings in space. And now we extend our meta to living beings in time. So we cannot only develop loving kindness to beings who coexist with us somewhere in the universe, but we can also expand expand our benevolent attitude to beings that are not yet born, but that are to be born. So these beings might not exist right now in this moment, but they may exist in the next second, tomorrow, or in a week's time, in two months' time. So this exercise of imagining all living beings can be really mind-boggling. We certainly need to surrender to the attempt of imagining each and every creature in this universe. But what we can do is to shift the attention to the quality or feeling of benevolence itself. While it's not really a feeling in the Buddhist sense, but I would rather call it an attitude of the heart and the mind, or a state of the heart and mind. To be loving, kind, friendly, 
open-hearted. And so then, after going through all these descriptions, adjectives, finally comes, may all beings be at ease. You can also say, may all beings be happy. So, this is like the punchline. May all beings be happy. It's as simple as this. May all beings be at ease. May they be happy. And this is like a refrain in this sutta and in our actual metta meditation practice this refrain is repeated an uncountable number of times. So for example in your metta meditation practice today how many times have you repeated your metta wish? May I be well, happy and peaceful or may my teacher be safe and protected or may all living beings be happy and well so when we repeat this wish as a support for cultivating this loving kind attitude, we must make sure that it really comes from deep within our heart. We really want me, the teacher, all beings, to be happy and well. And you know, whatever happiness that means, we should not get caught up in, well, but what is real happiness or not, but happy. And so cultivating this loving attitude, we also must make sure that it is free from any expectations. We should not um, expect anything in return. You know, we are not cultivating this loving and kind attitude in order to get something back, then it's not unconditional anymore. At the beginning of this talk, I mentioned our shared humanity, and that we should see other human beings as human beings with the same basic Uh, goals, wanting to be happy, not wanting to suffer. The Buddha then went a step further and said that we need to develop loving-kindness not only to human beings, but to all living beings alike. And so then we can call it our shared experience as living beings. Many astronauts have talked about the moment they saw the Earth from the universe, seeing a small blue ball in infinite space and seeing the Earth without any 
man-drawn boundaries. And they said that in that moment they recognized the unity of all life in this boundless space. Nowadays, even scientists have come to realize that our well-being is dependent on the well-being of others. For example, if the bees are dying, then we will no, lang no longer get apples or mangoes or almonds, unless the apples, the mangoes or the almonds are hand-pollinated. In some parts of China, apparently, because there are no more bees, people have to climb up on the trees and hand-pollinate each flower so that they get apples or pears. So we need happy and healthy bees for our well-being. But as I've said, the deluded and self-centered mind sets up boundaries to secure our happiness. But because the mind is deluded, it does not see that these very boundaries we set up are actually the cause for not being truly happy. The Buddha had pointed out to the fact that true happiness comes from an open heart that cherishes all beings equally. So he advised us to cultivate the heart, the mind, that radiates boundless goodwill towards all beings. And so this is exactly what the practice of loving-kindness invites us to do. Although the objects of our meta-meditation, like the person we have chosen or the group of beings. So although the object of our meta-meditation changes, we should remain the same quality of, we should maintain the same quality of loving-kindness. And so when our Meta-meditation practice deepens, we notice that we are actually able to go beyond the ordinary range of our benevolent attitude. And these are the moments of great awe when we realize, wow, I really feel a benevolent attitude towards my difficult boss. And such moments, they are inspiring and they give us the perseverance and the courage to continue with the practice. These moments, they let us catch a glimpse of this noble and yet so simple uh, quality of the heart and mind. So the core message of the Metta Sutta points directly 
to one of the most sublime and powerful aspects of our human nature, namely to the ability to be kind and loving, to be kind and loving towards all living beings without exception. Ayakema was a German nun, meditation teacher. For a while she also lived here in Australia, at Wiseman's Ferry in Wat Buddha Dhamma. So she had said, to love that which is lovable is possible for anyone. It's easy. That is what all the romances, the movies, and the novels are about. To love, to love that which is lovable is not the spiritual path, but a worldly endeavor. The purpose of loving kindness is the purification of the heart. When Ayakema speaks of the purification of the heart, I understand it in the sense of purifying the heart from all its limiting boundaries, of purifying the heart from all the negative and unwholesome thoughts and emotions that set up limits and boundaries. So as a spiritual practice, the practice of loving-kindness leaves the worldly level and it becomes a sublime state of heart, of mind. So which is a Brahma-vihara, a divine abode. So may we all continue with this noble and at times challenging practice until all the barriers are torn down until we see our shared humanity and until we see that all forms of life deserve our metta, our love and kindness. Let's sit for a few moments. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.